0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. If you think about what the Jets did, they've added a lot of star power. This was a big day for the New York Jets and obviously for Le'Veon Bell. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of turnonthejets.com. Today, I'm going to give you my reactions to the team's first wave of moves in free agency. I'm going to go for about a half hour going through what moves I loved, which ones I liked, which ones were maybe a little somewhere below like. Uh, and we'll talk about where the Jets go from here. Obviously, it is a long off season. Uh, And there is much more to come. I'm recording this Thursday morning. It's likely to run Thursday midday. I'm also probably going to do another podcast on Saturday that's more mailbag focused, and I'll also update on any other moves that come through between now and then. So before I dive into breaking down what the Jets have done, quick reminder to subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes. We're up to about 336 now. Let's get to 350. Why not? The more the better the more searchable this podcast is uh and the more we can do with it as we get closer to the NFL season. Obviously, it has been uh as insane as expected uh with this period uh The timing on all this stuff just seems to move up every single year. So the legal tampering period this year really just turned into the normal onslaught of free agency news breaking down and breaking through. And uh, it was a chaotic – it's been a chaotic four days, five days really to say the least. So let's go through these in the order that they happened. Uh, the Jets' first big move of the offseason was trading uh, with the Oakland Raiders for offensive guard Kelechi Osemele. Uh They basically moved down, I think, like 50 or 60 picks in the drafts. So ultimately, it was a pick swap uh, where the Jets basically took a six-round pick back from Oakland uh, and gave up their fifth-round pick. So so moving down a bit to take a chance on a starting guard to upgrade James Carpenter. And I really like this move a lot. I think it was a necessary proactive move to improving the guard position because it was a thin free agent market at guard. Basically, it was Roger Saffold or Bust. uh, or Basically, you were going to be paying somebody who it was debatable whether they'd be better than James Carpenter or not. It is not debatable that Osemele is better than Carpenter. Now, he is coming off a rough year where he was banged up and his play took a, a pretty big drop off. That being said, Oakland was a mess last year. Tom Cable is... One of the worst positional coaches in the NFL. And prior to that, he was really one of the best guards in the NFL. Now, I believe he's going to be 30 uh, when next season hits. And I don't believe the Jets are on the hook for any money outside of after next year, so a worthwhile risk to upgrade a position where the Jets desperately had a need. This is a guy who was arguably the best guard in football uh, for a couple of years, uh, back around 2016-2017. Uh, you know His play has dropped off a little bit last year, and I think that's why Oakland was not hesitant to move on when you looked at the contract they were paying him, but if he's in shape and he's healthy, he's going to be a big upgrade over James Carpenter, and it was a position the Jets needed to address, and I think they did a good job not sitting on their hands uh, and hoping for the best in free agency because they had to fill that gap left by James Carpenter because they're already kind of shaky elsewhere on the interior offensive line which we'll get to later obviously Uh, but I think this was a smart move and they just with their cap flexibility with what they gave up which was basically nothing uh, I think it's a pretty impossible one to knock This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next major move to break through was a decision to sign Jamison Crowder as their slot receiver. Uh, I think Crowder was a guy we talked about a decent amount in the free agency run-up period. I think there was a rightful fear that the Jets might instead look towards a guy like Danny Amendola, uh, who had played with Gase before. But really, when you were looking for value on the receiver market, I think two guys jumped off the page in particular. Adam Humphreys, who ended up signing with the Titans, and Crowder, a guy who was very healthy and very productive the first three years of his career with the Washington Redskins, and then was banged up with an ankle injury last year. Uh, Crowder fits very well for the type of offense that Adam Gase runs. Uh, he's not someone who, despite being... A slot receiver, and being one of the smaller guys out there, I think he's 5'9 officially, uh, has pretty good vertical speed out of the slot and can attack down the seam and can attack on post-corner routes. He's a guy that will fit well and they'll manufacture touches for, and they needed another starting receiver. You need to have three starting receivers in today's NFL, so they needed somebody who offered a unique or different style of matchup than Robbie Anderson or Quincy Anua and no one really checks that box better than Jamison Crowder. Uh, obviously, those are bigger receivers, Anderson and Inouye, and I think this frees up Anuwa to not just be a slot receiver, which isn't taking advantage of his skill set. is at his best when he's moving between the slot, H-back, and playing outside the numbers, where he did a lot of really good work in 2016. This will give the Jets the flexibility to do that with him. I think Crowder's going to be a high-volume target guy, uh, particularly in the short-to-intermediate passing game, and you've seen Gase, whether it was with Jarvis Landry, whether whether it was with Jakeem Grant, Albert Wilson, and Evan last year, he's going to pepper that slot receiver with targets. So I think Crowder uh, is probably going to be up higher than most people anticipate in terms of his involvement in the offense. And the money was a little higher than I initially thought he would get. Uh, but when you see what some of the other receivers out there were paid, it's not insane money. You know, this is a guy who's in his mid-20s and should be able to give you at least two or three productive years before you see any kind of fall off. So I think considering the need and who was out there, this was smart, targeted shopping by the Jets to address a need. Third major piece of news that dropped, and obviously this one ended up being a little more complicated than some of the other transactions, as I take a sip of uh, coffee here to get ready to about it. Uh, Anthony Barr. The Jets get reported that they're going to sign Anthony Barr uh, to a pretty massive deal to be an edge rusher. And this led to a bunch of different discussions that Barr has not been an edge rusher in the NFL and how confident he could be that he would just flip back to being the player he was at UCLA when he was a productive pass rusher. I kind of push back on this. I think saying that signing bar and saying he's addressing your pass rush is probably a little naive. You know, you could send around all the UCLA clips all you want. It's been five years and he's been a certain type of linebacker in the NFL for that period of time. So to assume he's just going to flip the switch and become this great three, four edge rusher always seemed kind of crazy to me. Now that being said, he was a good football player uh, and would have been a big upgrade for what the Jets wanted to do at linebacker and could play in a four, three in a three, four in a nickel um, it was a bit surprising to see the Jets uh, want to put so much money towards him, particularly in conjunction with paying CJ Mosley, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but then we found out, uh, somewhat, I think it was like 24 hours after that, Barr had a change of heart, felt physically sick at the idea of playing for the Jets, which I don't know was a weird way to frame it, and I don't know what the deal was there. Uh, and it goes back to Minnesota, and I think when you looked at that in conjunction to what the Jets paid CJ Mosley should have been a bit of a relief because to invest that much money in two off-ball linebackers who have a combined career 20 sacks over nine ten NFL seasons I think would have been a little bit questionable Uh, so bar walks the Jets signed Mosley to a record-setting market resetting deal at inside linebacker I think and added out at 85 million dollars 17 million per year really staggering money so This is one of those deals that I'm going to say I'm somewhere between meh and like on. Now, before you jump down my throat, Mosley's a great football player. He's one of the best inside linebackers in the NFL. Whether the Jets play a 3-4 or 4-3, he can be out there and be an impact player. He will be a big upgrade over Darren Lee, who the Jets are very clearly planning to move on from in some type of capacity. My question or concern around it is just how much money they're paying him uh, and how much money the Jets have continued to invest or resources they've continued to invest in inside linebacker. So in 2016, they trade for Demario Davis, take Darren Lee in the first round. Last year, they give Avery Williamson, I think it was a $27, $30 million contract. This year, you go pay 87 or $85 million uh, to C.J. Mosley. And it's a lot of money for a position that you can make the case for. It does not necessarily have a big enough impact in today's NFL when many offenses are going to spread you out and try to throw all over you uh, as merits the ultimate price tag. There's a reason the Ravens, who are a pretty smart organization, would not go that high, and it's because they think they could find a way – to fill the gap that Mosley left and maybe get 80-85% of the production at, I don't know, one-fifth, one-eighth, one-tenth of the cost. So with Mosley, he is not going to sack the quarterback. You are saying he's not going to be somebody who you need to take off the field in passing situations because he's going to be fine in coverage. And I do think he's fine in coverage. I wouldn't say he's great in coverage, but he's fine in coverage. Obviously terrific against the run a solid guy from a, a leadership and being a centerpiece of your defense standpoint, it's going to be hard for him to live up to the value of this deal. Because I think at least as the jets roster currently stands now, teams are going to look at how the jets are constructed and they're going to say, we're going to come out with four receivers, five receivers. We're going to play up tempo and we're going to get every Williamson and CJ Mosley out in space and see what they can do and see if we could force the jets to take them off the field. And then if they do take them off the field, who are the defensive backs that are dropping down and sliding in for them? So it was interesting to me that the Jets put so much money into linebacker, but it wasn't an edge rusher. Now, maybe they feel like they're going to answer it in the draft, and that's fine. Is one player enough to fix what they want to do off the edge? I don't know. I think what remains to be seen. You do have to say this, though. Mosley is one of the best defensive players in the NFL, particularly at his position. They added talent. They needed talent. It's a lot of money maybe a little higher than I would have gone for an inside linebacker. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next major deal that breaks through, the one that, of course, is my favorite if you listen to this podcast, if you follow my Twitter, if you follow the website, the Jets land Le'Veon Bell, $52 million, about $13 million per year. The actual nitty-gritty structure of the contract is coming out now, and the Jets really protected themselves well uh, and are going to have some flexibility to maneuver around when they get to year three and year four of this contract with how they shuffled uh, some of the money around. But again, Ultimately, netting out, this is a guy everyone was talking about—16, 17 million per year. Nets out on average at about 13 million dollars per year. The total overall money and the total overall guarantees, I think, were lower than most people anticipated. This was a no-brainer move for the Jets to add Le'Veon Bell, even if it was at at higher money, and they got him at lower money than uh, most people anticipated. And I've went through the case of why the Jets needed to sign Le'Veon Bell 85,000 times. It was an anomaly that he hit the free agent market. And when you have this much cap space, you're positioned to take advantage of that type of anomaly. It is all about making Sam Darnold better, and Le'Veon Bell is going to make Sam Darnold that much better and make his development that much easier. He is not just a running back. He's immediately going to become arguably the best, if not one of the best, pass catchers on the Jets roster. This is a guy who's caught 75 passes or more three separate times. He's terrific in pass pro. He's a three-down player. He has shown he can be a workhorse. He has a year off, should be back fresh. Jets had to make this move, particularly coming off the bar news. There was no way they could walk away without Le'Veon Bell, and they still have more than enough cap flexibility to make other additions at other positions. So are there risks with this? Of course. Can you make a fair case that running backs are replaceable? Yes, I believe running backs are replaceable. But the Jets are in a unique situation where they have ignored offense for so long and have missed when trying to make offensive additions so frequently that they had to course correct and do something drastic. And they have the luxury of having a quarterback on a rookie contract, which gives you the flexibility to make this kind of signing. It was a rare circumstance. It was a unique circumstance. And they had to take advantage of it and had to take this risk because this team's offense and this franchise as a whole has been flat out stagnant uh, for nearly the entire decade. So they did the right thing. Credit to the front office for finding a way to get this deal done at more than reasonable money. And Le'Veon Bell is basically immediately, will walk in and be the best skill possession player the Jets have had since Curtis Martin, who is obviously a Hall of Famer. So well done by the Jets in getting the best player who was available, particularly because he's on the offensive side of the football and is going to make life that much easier for Sam Darnold. Outside of that, the Jets have done a lot of internal uh, housekeeping in terms of who they've decided to keep and who they've decided not to keep. They decided to let Andre Roberts, Jason Myers walk. Both guys got big money from Buffalo and Seattle, respectively. I... I think you could kind of go both ways on this, but generally I fall in the camp of that. These guys are pretty replaceable. The Jets have had a different kicker each of the past three years and been fine. So investing massive amounts of money into Myers in particular, I was not overly excited to do. Roberts, I think you could look at the Jets' history of having a hard time finding a returner and being a little frustrated, but Crowder is a capable punt returner. I think as long as Crowder's your guy, you're not counting on Trenton Cannon, who can't catch, to be your punt returner. That's okay. I think a kick returner, they're probably going to audition some different people, and you got to hope that we're not back to the JoJo Natsons of the world. The Jets have parted ways with four of their best special teamers when you count Roberts, Myers, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, and Terrence Brooks. They're basically betting on Brant Boyer being good enough to cycle through whatever other special teamers, including a guy they signed in Josh Bellamy from the Bears, uh, and not have them miss a beat. So it's going to be interesting to see if that is actually the case with Boyer, or last year was an outlier year like it was for Roberts and Myers. And I think you've got to remember with Roberts and Myers, those guys have been in the NFL for a while, and how they produced last year, was very uncommon to every other year for them. So to expect them to do that again was probably not realistic. So I don't think it's necessary to hammer the Jets for letting those guys go. Uh, Other players that they're bringing back. They're bringing back Daryl Roberts at three years, $18 million. They're bringing back Henry Anderson uh, at a contract that makes him the 11th highest paid 3-4 defensive end in the NFL. They're bringing back Jonathan Harrison, Uh, as a center, hopefully not the starting center. Uh, They also brought back Steve McClendon to be their nose tackle. So let's work through those. I think From how they're paying Roberts and how they've handled free agency so far, it would seem that they think he could be a starting cornerback. I think that's a mistake. I think Roberts is best served as your fourth corner and a guy who is providing depth. I think to have him and Tremaine Johnson as your two starting cornerbacks after what we saw last year would be a very, very risky approach. Now, obviously, they could still rectify that, but I think keeping Roberts – from a depth perspective, makes plenty of sense. I think he's perfect for being a fourth corner and a special teamer. I think you're asking too much if you push him into a role bigger than that. It's kind of the exact same thing with Harrison, who I think is a really good sixth lineman and backup at center and guard. I think making him your starting center for 16 games is a risk. Uh, and I hope that the Jets, who... I think what their biggest mistake of this offseason has been so far, uh, not getting involved in Mitch Morris, not apparently getting involved in Matt Paradis, and leaving center, arguably the most important position on the offensive line, as a gaping hole. I think you got to remember that. You have Osemele, you address that. Brian Winters is a league average guard at best. He is not a plus starter. He's not a good starter. He's barely an average starter if you're being polite. So you need to be that much better at center, and the Jets, as it stands now, are risking it. You know, they could go... Say we're going to draft somebody, that's easier said than done, particularly with how the Jets have drafted in the middle rounds. Harrison is not capable of being a 16-game starter. Uh, I think if you sign Josh Sitton, everyone's saying they could just play him at center. He's barely played center throughout his entire career. That's also a risk, and he missed all of last season, and it's going to be in his mid-30s. You sign a guy like Sullivan uh, from the Rams, he's 34 and was one of the worst centers in the NFL last year. So This is the Overtime Podcast Network. It sounds like, or it seems like, as of now, the Jets could still have a big gap at that center position, which could be really problematic. So it's early. I don't think you can hammer him too, too much yet, but I think it's perplexing that they didn't get more aggressive in the Morrison-Paradise market. Uh, I think with McClendon, it basically means the Jets are running back their exact same starting 3-4 alignment. McClendon, Anderson, and uh, Leonard Williams, I think that's potentially a good and a bad thing. I think with Anderson... They probably overpaid him, and I say that not because Anderson wasn't very good last year. He was very good for them and overachieved on the value that they traded for. He was their best defensive lineman last year. He was doubled more than Leonard Williams and was more productive than him. My concern with Anderson is that Every year to that prior, he was extremely, extremely banged up and could not stay healthy. That's why the Colts got rid of him for a seventh-round pick, along with their transition on defense. I think it's risky to invest three years into Henry Anderson on one year that has been an outlier from a health perspective. His career would say that at some point next year, he's going to get banged up. And the Jets have really locked themselves in and said, we're going to trust that Anderson – on one outlier year from a health and production perspective is going to be worth the value of his contract. I think there's some risk there because I think for the role that Anderson plays, you could find those guys for cheaper. Uh, the Jets showed it the year before when they found Anderson for a seventh-round pick, and he ended up being more productive than Leonard Williams, and that is also why I'm always hesitant about investing anything major in Leonard Williams long-term. It's just a lower, more interchangeable impact position. Uh, I think the Jets' you know, front three was fine last year. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's dominant, and I think when you look at the front seven as it stands now they've made the big upgrade from darren lee to cj mosley but inside linebacker wasn't really a huge problem spot last year it wasn't good but it wasn't like a disaster so uh, i think there's still more work to be done in that front seven they also brought back uh, neville hewitt good special teamer uh backup inside linebacker obviously you need to fill roster spots we also saw that uh when they went out and they signed bellamy to little more than the minimum. I mean, I think they're going to slot him in as their fourth receiver, which I'd like to see more depth there. You don't want to be a rolled Quincy Anua ankle away from having to start Bellamy in your three receiver sets. Uh, But we'll see ultimately uh, how that shakes out. Uh, The Jets had a visit with Falcon slot cornerback Brian Poole, who would have been a replacement for Buster Screen. He left with a contract. Doesn't mean that he won't necessarily end up coming back. He actually has a game that's pretty similar to Screen. Uh, good blitzer, good tackler, inconsistent in coverage, a lot of penalties, uh, kind of a similar build. He's a little bigger. Um, Screen went to the Chicago Bears, who I guess unironically tweeted out that he was the best nickelback in the game, which I think any Jet fan would tell you is unlikely to be true. So I think when you look at where the Jets roster currently sits right now and where the biggest holes still are. And there's plenty of people out there and plenty of time for them to address uh, some of these situations. I think you have to get better at center and you have to get more depth on the offensive line overall. Uh, Even if you fill starting center. You need more depth and versatility out of your backups with Brandon Shell coming off a major injury. Uh, people forget that Shell missed like four and a half, five games the year before last year too. So he has not shown he could stay healthy for a full season. You need more depth to tackle. So you're not starting a guy like Brent Qualley for multiple games and getting Sam Darnold killed. Uh, you also want more depth and competition for a guy like Brian Winters, which is maybe why bringing a guy like Sitton isn't the worst idea in the world. I just think assuming he's going to be your only answer at center is risky. But for him to be pushing winners at guard, I don't think it's crazy because I think winners, again, last year of his contract, pretty average starter at best. I think you could try to do better and push for more competition there. I think cornerback, the Jets just have to do more. They need one or two more bodies at least. You cannot... Sell or go out there with Tremaine Johnson, Daryl Roberts, and Perry Nickerson. You have to add more bodies and more talent there. With how aggressive Greg Williams plays, teams are going to torch the Jets if they go out there with those three guys as their top three corners, regardless of how well C.J. Mosley is playing. So they have more work to do there. I think offensively, or at, I'm sorry, at edge rusher, let's stay on the defense, it would still be nice to see the Jets add an edge. It is kind of crazy to think that with all the talk about Edge and all the names that were alleged to be out there, the Jets haven't added a single body yet. Now, Justin Houston is still out there. It doesn't seem that the Jets have any real serious interest in him, uh, but you've got to add more depth and options and people coming off the edge. You can't ignore this position entirely and assume that you're just going to fix it in the draft. You want to have more flexibility draft weekend, so... I don't know if that's taking a swing on a guy like Shane Ray, who's kind of meh. You're actually going in on a guy like Houston, but you want to add more pass rushers. The Jets have not addressed edge at all yet. Preston Smith went elsewhere. Uh, Trey Flowers went elsewhere. Uh, Zedarius Smith went elsewhere. Um, Obviously, guys like Demarcus Lawrence, Frank Clark, D. Ford uh, have been moved or stayed put or been traded to other places. So still edge is a, a spot that the Jets are going to want to address. I think offensively, I would love to see them continue to add depth at the tight end and receiver position. i talked a little bit about receiver, but I think you got to do better than Jordan Leggett as your number two tight end, particularly with Chris Herndon's in- injury history in college and the fact that he's likely to start the year suspended. So hopefully the Jets continue to poke around that, and that might be something they just address in the draft because it really is a talented and deep class at tight end. I think a running back and quarterback, you're still looking for backups there. Maybe you bring back Falal Powell on a veteran minimums deal. I don't know if that's necessarily enough, but I can tell you this. He's still better than Elijah McGuire and Trenton Cannon. So maybe that's a position the Jets address in the late rounds of the draft. Maybe Jarek McKinnon gets cut because the Niners signed Tevin Coleman and the Jets look at him after almost signing him last season. But you still want a solid number two back now that Isaiah Crowell was fortunately cut after one fairly unsuccessful year with the team. I think backup quarterback, it doesn't sound like McCown's going to come back. Uh, I don't know whether that guy ends up being Blake Bortles. I don't know whether it ends up being Ryan Tannehill. I don't think you need to spend 10 to $12 million on a backup because if Sam Darnold goes down, we're all kind of screwed anyway. I don't think Tannehill is that much of a disaster in a vacuum as long as Gase isn't going to get a weird trigger finger, which I'm sure you know he won't at all because he knows his success is tied to Sam Darnold. So continuing to kind of flesh out and add depth at some of those different Uh, positions on the offensive side of the football uh, I think is ultimately critical and we'll see how that you know shakes out there are still a lot of interesting names out there at the cornerback position Callahan from the Bears is out there at slot corner Ronald Darby still out there Uh, those are kind of the two big names we mentioned Houston at pass rusher offensively there's some lower tier receivers that they could prospectively take a swing on and a quarterback you know a guy again, a guy like Tannehill, ultimately wouldn't shock me. I think in terms of their internal free agents, they probably brought back most of the people they're excited about bringing back. It sounds like Brandon Copeland's probably not going to come back, which I'd be a little disappointed with. I think he was a nice piece last year on defense and special teams, and you know we'll see you know how that nets out and how they want to dress uh, their own free agents. But I think overall, at this point, you should be very happy that. The Jets took improving offensive guard seriously, took improving receiver seriously, and did what they needed to do with Le'Veon Bell. I think until we see how the rest of the roster is fleshed out, you should be really excited about CJ C. Mosley, but maybe a little wary about just how much they paid him, but we'll see how the rest of the defense ultimately shakes out. I think beyond that, there hasn't been too many surprises or massive head scratchers. Uh, in terms of who they brought back and didn't bring back. I think the biggest disappointment so far is how they handled the free agent center market. Uh, Hopefully there is a plan B, C, or D there to addressing that, but nothing outside of adding weapons around him, and you could even say this is more important than that, is more important than protecting Sam Darnold. So you want to go over the top at the offensive line. The Jets still have the cap flexibility to do that. Bell's deal is not... A cap buster. If anything, Mosley's deal is closer to that, but even that isn't for the Jets because they had just so much cap flexibility that uh, they still have the flexibility and the leverage to make more additions and make more changes and go from there. So we'll see how that shakes out. We'll check back in on Saturday and answer some of your questions. Thank you everybody for listening. And like I said, uh, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. Un amigo es con quien sales a comerte unas papitas de McDonald's. Pero tu mejor amigo? Es quien promete siempre echar sus papitas en la mesa para hacer un Papita Mountain contigo. Y esa es la única amistad que yo quiero. Para, pa, pa, pa.